holidays, everyone, and welcome back to 12 Days Pod. I'm Kara Zelaya, and I'm joined here with my co-host, partner, fiance, and my little man, Dan Takaki. Short king over here. You are my short king. The, smallest, s- the smallest man. You're so little, all six one of you. If you're new here, this is our holiday season podcast, one that is so seasonal that it is only relevant for 12 weeks of the year, which is how long Christmas is meant to be celebrated. That is right. We love Christmas, and we love Christmas movies, so we're here to talk about some of our favorites and some of our not-so-favorites for no reason other than to have a good time. So let's get into it. Dearest Daniel, what are we talking about today? This week, we are taking a look back at a household favorite, the 2019 film by Greta Gerwig, Little Women. Yes! Starring Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, and Eliza Scanlon as the titular Little Women. Oh my god. Stacked, stacked, stacked cast. What a cast. Now, if you know either of us, you'll know we both love this movie and saw it when it came out around Christmas 2019. But why don't we just very briefly talk about our thoughts going into this movie. I love how you added very briefly. Yeah. Because I am going to have a lot of post-movie thoughts. Yeah. I don't remember what my thoughts were before going into this movie when we originally saw it in 2019. Mm-hmm. Other than I was super excited about it because I love Greta. I love the source material. I, of course, am a Joe March of sorts. But I hadn't re-seen it since we saw it in theaters Mm -hmm. but i had seen bits of it over and over again there are so many absolutely powerful monologues and lines in this movie so i was just so psyched to watch it the second time and we ended up buying this movie because we do need to own it because it will be in our rotation forever now i was so excited i forgot how much this movie hits me so i'm letting you all know ahead of time that i'm going to cry talking about this movie this is this is gonna be a lot a lot a lot to talk about. a lot to talk about how about you i love this movie i think it's a fantastic movie a fantastic story i knew going into this too that we were not going to be able to watch this together the first time yeah on our watch through for this episode because scheduling conflicts scheduling yeah (laughs) uh so i just for reference was watching this while i was on a work trip and started watching it while I was like at the gym working out at this hotel and just started crying while I was running on the treadmill. So, you know, I'm in the same boat as you are. Yeah. I I was a little and still am a little worried to talk about this movie for this podcast, (laughs) especially after the past few weeks of what we've been covering. It's just such a different level. I feel like I'm almost doing like a book report that I'm going to get graded on and I'm not that person so we're just gonna roll with the punches when i go through this and talk about this but i think it'll be great so why don't you go ahead and tell the people at home what greta gerwig's little women is about absolutely so this movie tells the story of the march family through the eyes of joe the second oldest daughter in the family and focuses primarily on the march sisters and their lives coming into adulthood the sisters are meg played by emma watson joe played by saoirse ronan beth played by Eliza Scanlon, and Amy, who's played by Florence Pugh. Florence. I love Florence Pugh. I think she's my favorite actress. Yeah, that's a good favorite actress to have. To have, like, current? Yeah. God, I would die for Florence Pugh. The other main characters in this movie are Laura Dern, who plays their mother, Marmee. Scratch that. Laura Dern's my favorite actress. (laughs) 
<laughs> Meryl Streep, who plays their Aunt March. Yeah, she's up there. Timothy Chalamet, who plays Laurie slash Teddy. It's the same character. They're just nicknames for each other. <sighs> Laurie. And he plays their, like, well-off neighbor friend. And his grandfather, Mr. Lawrence, is played by Chris Cooper. And their father is played by Bob Odenkirk. Uh, just as a note, the way Greta Gerwig framed this story is a little bit different than the novel itself. In that it's not told in chronological order. And so the movie starts in 1868, which is when Little Women, the novel, was published. At the time of that in the movie joe is living in new york as a tutor and a writer and working to get some things published when she is summoned home to be with a very ill beth who has never really recovered from the scarlet fever she had when she was a child yeah meg is married to a man named john brooke and amy is in france with her aunt march right right and as joe makes her way home from new york we cut to seven years prior to where they're all living together in their Concord, Massachusetts home. And so this movie primarily takes place in the year 1861 to 1862. And then there's some time jumps to the future. Right, right. So I think the easiest way for me to do this is I'm just going to try and go through each of the sisters. Right. And their sort of arcs. You know, all of their stories obviously intertwine. And so there will be a lot of overlap. And I'm sure I'm going to leave some specific details from the movie and the story out that we can talk about during our notes or you'll just jump in with. Also, please watch this movie if you haven't already seen it. I mean, there's spoilers about, but this is a book that's been around, you know, since literally the 1800s. Literally centuries. <laughs> literally centuries. But um, it, you won't lose any of the impact because the way Greta has paced this film, she literally like tells it out of order in the way where every emotion sort of hits. Mm -hmm. And so there is so much to that craftsmanship that you can't really talk about just orally without watching the movie. So dear Dan here is doing his best, but you're going to have to see this movie to get the full emotional impact of all of this. Yeah, definitely. Like there's so many scenes that are just intercut between present day and past day that like blend so well together. Yeah. Also, because this is our Christmas podcast, I want to flag for later because it doesn't really come up in my recap. Uh, Christmas is definitely in this movie. Yes. And it's sort of a benchmark for time passing. Mm -hmm. And the movie opens around and on Christmas in 1861 with the four girls and their mother celebrating without their father, who is off serving the Union Army. And then Christmas shows up again a year later after Beth has been sick, but she pulls through for now. And their father comes home for Christmas. Right. And I think those are the two mentions of Christmas in this movie. Correct. And there's decorating and there's festivities. Yeah. So. Like it's it's festive around Christmas. And it's winter a lot. It's yeah. Christmas. Yeah. I'll talk about this in my notes too. It's as Christmassy or more Christmas than some of the movies we've watched on this podcast before. So Meet me in St. Louis. Yeah. It's namely. Yeah. That's true. Um. So... I'm going to start with Meg. Meg is the oldest sister, and growing up, the four of them would always perform plays that Joe would write. And Meg was typically the lead and best actor of them all as they, in the plays that they'd perform. She is trying to find her way into society, and we see her and Joe going to a number of social events and balls together as they are the oldest two and trying to find spouses in the world, or at least Meg is. Joe's eh. Very much not. Very eh on the whole thing. And so while Meg has dreams of being an actor, she also very much wants to be a mother and have a nice life. And so she ends up marrying John, who is Laurie slash Teddy's tutor. 
and he's not very well off. The but... penniless tutor, as Meryl Streep says. Yes, the penniless tutor. Um, but he's a very good and nice man, and they ha- end up having two children together. And there's moments in the story where you can see her wishing she had more money and nicer things, but ultimately wants to find happiness in the life that she has with John and their kids. Yeah. That's literally all I'm going to say about Meg for now. <laughs> I... <laughs> Played by Emma Watson. Yeah. Beth, who is the third daughter of four, is notably the quiet one and also the sweetest and really like the heart of the family. Yeah. She is taught at home growing up by Joe and also befriends their neighbor, Mr. Lawrence, who's Teddy's grandfather. Uh, He's like an elderly man who lost his daughter when she was very young. And he's also been estranged from his son at this point. So other than Timothy Chalamet's character, he doesn't really have anyone else in his life. And so she often goes over to his house to play on his piano until he eventually gives it to her as a present. And after Beth goes to help take care of one of the families in town, she comes down with scarlet fever and is very sick for a year in the past. And then again in the present, she's never really fully recovered from this this illness because it's the 1800s and (laughs) unless you get over a sickness you just don't and so they send amy off right away because she can't they don't want her to catch it as well whereas like the other sisters have so they're essentially like vaccinated well yeah they're immune it's like it's like once you have it you can't get it again yeah yeah and then eventually in the present time of this movie so in 1868 uh she eventually passes from the illness after joe her mother meg and their housekeeper hannah have been taking care of her so it's very sad. She's she's a lot of fun in the movie as well. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. How do you talk about this movie? <laughs> There's four sisters. They're amazing. Yeah, they all have very different lives. Yeah, and it's uh, it is a tough one for you to, to summarize. I feel for you. I really do. Yeah, because like it all... doesn't it doesn't it doesn't have the gravitas of like what these four stories are yeah and that's not on you there's just no way of it's like trying to spark notes yeah little women little women yeah yeah it's like there's two this movie's well over two hours so it's kind of hard also to like it is almost like a mini series that's cut into two hours Mm -hmm. it's incredible yeah amy who is played by florence Pugh, is the youngest of the mark sisters and she desperately wants her sisters especially joe's attention and affection throughout the movie we see her trying to go out and socialize with joe meg and teddy but because they're older she has to stay home she's often you know acting out she likes to draw caricatures of her teacher she burns joe's writing at one point because she's mad that joe wouldn't let her go to the theater with them but over time she starts to mature and to come into her own Oh, Amy. I know. (laughs) And when Beth gets sick, Amy has to go live with Aunt Marge because they don't want her getting sick. And this is when she starts to really get into her own artwork and painting. And she's always loved art to begin with, but Aunt Marge really pushes her to, to hone it more as a skill. Eventually, at Meg's wedding, Aunt Marge says she wants to take one last long trip to Europe and invites Amy, not Joe, who she originally invited a while back, and Amy goes and spends seemingly the next seven years in Europe with her. The, the, the thought process behind it is that Amy is the only one, according to Aunt March, with any sense, who will marry sensibly. Yeah. Um, and so he's, she's trying to introduce her to a world of culture and, and mm-hmm. wealth, essentially. Yeah. So that she marries rich and... Can all, take care of the family. And yeah, all of the little women are taken care of from Amy's 
advantageous marriage. Right. And so while she's living there, she's courted and proposed to by a man named Fred Vaughn, who's this, you know, very well-off businessman from London. But she turns him down and ends up marrying Laurie from next door, who she notably had been in love with her whole life and who had previously been turned down by Joe. Yeah. And there's a really, like, emotional scene where Laurie tells her not to marry Fred. And Amy says, Laurie, don't do this. Like, you know I've been in love with you my whole life. I can't keep playing second fiddle to Joe. Yeah. But they, they end up getting end up getting married on their way back to, to the funeral for Beth. Yeah. And yeah, so after Beth dies, she and Laurie come back. And Aunt Marge also is sick at this point, so they bring her back with them. Now Joe. Oh, <sighs> Joe. I know. And what I'm about to say does not do justice to Joe or any of these characters. No. But all of these little women with all their these, little lives. All these tiny women They're with their so tiny little lives. With their tiny, beautiful lives. I know, I know. Joe is the second oldest and the main point of view of this story and also the one telling the story. She, as mentioned, is a writer and growing up would always write plays for her sisters and never dreamed of marrying. She wanted to make her own way in the world as an author. When she meets Laurie at the first ball that she goes to with Meg, they hit it off right away and become fast friends. And you can tell Laurie quickly falls for her. And Joe it has a very complicated relationship with the idea of love and marriage. what marriage. She loves Laurie and loves spending time with him, but it's just not in the cards for her. Yeah. So Joe also teaches her younger sisters at home and is constantly writing. And a main point in her story is at Meg's wedding, Lori proposes to her and asks her to be with him, but she turns him down because she doesn't think marriage is for her. And she wants to live a life unburdened by marriage, essentially. Uh, she eventually will come to question this decision, mostly because when she's living in New York, she feels very, very lonely. Yeah. And while she's in New York in the present time, She's a tutor for a few students at a boarding house that she's staying at. And she meets a professor there named Bahir. And Bahir is, oh, the love interest for her, but also criticizes her writing very specifically. How dare he? Very specifically. Joe is literally perfect. Because he doesn't think a very specific piece that she wrote is good. Yeah, and she reacts appropriately. <laughs> and she reacts like, how dare you? Everyone Correct. thinks this is good. And he's like, well, you asked my opinion. Yeah, and... He should die for that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, he does think she's a very talented writer, though, which is why he so harshly criticizes her. Uh, the two also have several scenes of them out dancing at the theater, though they're not specifically together, but, like, the seed is being planted for them. Yeah. So after Joe goes back to be with Beth and Beth dies, Joe begins to write the story of their life, Little Women. And after she sends a few chapters to the publisher that she's worked with before, Mr. Dashwood, he reads it and is kind of like, meh, on it. Yeah. And Men. I know. Typical man. But then his daughters grab a hold of the copy of these chapters and they read it and they're like, Dad, what happened to the little women? You have to, you have to finish this book. And so he's like, well, okay. <laughs> you won't leave me alone. And so he agrees to publish it. And there are some scenes of them kind of like negotiating the like rights and publishing deal. Yeah. And after she publishes it, Joe goes back to Massachusetts and inherits Aunt Marge's home when she dies and opens up a school with Bahir, who she ends up chasing down and marrying after he courts her one last time after Beth has died. And then also Meg and Amy teach at this school that she opens as well. Yeah. And that's that's where the movie ends. 
All the little women. All of the little women. Yeah. In their little lives. Phew. Yeah. <laughs> so much I didn't cover. So much nuance and little things I didn't cover. But so. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready for my notes and thoughts? Do we think I should give my notes first? <laughs> Well, no, because then I have to do fun facts. So, like, I'm okay. going to be monologuing for a while anyway. Okay. Yeah, I'm just, I'm going to take a second. I'm going to take a second. Yeah, take... And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this movie. And I'm going to talk about me because I have to. So, <laughs> um, while watching this movie, no less than mm, 30 times did I, like, sob going it is a true universal joke that i did not have biological sisters like it is the cruelest thing the universe has ever done to me is not give me sisters i have two brothers i love my brothers i should have had four sisters i watched this movie and i'm like god i i deserve that i love that i have very close female friendships that are mm-hmm. very close at the level of sisterhood but I, it, it makes me mourn a life that I just never, was never in the cards for me. Yeah. <laughs> and so I got to talk about that because it is like a weird thing that maybe some people don't talk about. I know a lot of other people who wish they had siblings if they are only siblings or this, that, and the other, but by God, um, I wish I had sisters. The writing in this film is so exceptional. The mm-hmm. acting in this film is so exceptional it is a true testament to the outstanding performances in this film that i forgot meryl streep was in this movie right like (laughs) i didn't talk about her character or laura dern's character at all yeah and laura dern is also giving a a just smash hit performance yeah but for me this is about florence and about sersha I cry a lot at this movie. I think this movie handles the way that women view love from the 1800s to now mm-hmm. in such an extremely nuanced way. I'm going to read a couple of lines from this movie that people are very well versed with. Yeah. Joe, at one point, does the what has become kind of a meme now that the women, they have minds and they have souls as well as just hearts and they've got ambition and they've got talent as well as just beauty. Mm-hmm. I'm so sick of people saying that love is all, it's just all a woman is fit for. <sighs> mm. <laughs> Between Joe and her mom, they talk about how she was perhaps too quick to turn down Lori and her mom says, but did you love him? And she says... If he asked me again, I think I would say yes. And she again asked, but do you love him? And she says, I care more to be loved. I want to be loved. And her mom says, that is not the same as loving. And it is Mm. (laughs) so devastating. And then the Amy March of it all, (laughs) the, my favorite monologue when she is talking about how marriage is an economic proposition for a woman Mm -hmm. and how she always knew she was going to marry rich. And Lori says, well, I think the poets might disagree. Yeah. And Amy goes, well, I'm not a poet. I'm just a woman. And as a woman, I have no way to make money, not enough to earn a living and support my family. And even if I had my own money, which I don't, it wouldn't belong to my husband the minute we got married. And if we had children, they would belong to him, not me. They would be his property. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition because it is. It may not be for you, but it most certainly is for me. And like, 
<laughs> there is so many levels of female love in this movie. Yeah. In every single one of them. Female love to other women, female love to their craft, their work, female themselves. love to themselves. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, I, I'm sorry, I know this is not the podcast where we normally talk about these themes. It's more bit laden. Don't worry, we're watching Santa Claus 3 later. So, like, <laughs> you're still going to get us having to deal with Martin Short as Jack Frost. So, yeah, don't yeah. worry. And also about, like, jealousy. You know, Amy talking about Joe. I have been second to Joe my whole life and everything, and I will not be the person you settle for just because you cannot have her. Mm. I, oh, oh, oh. If you want to learn about female love, female rage, female unconditional devotion... I think this is the one work in all of art. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that that is me giving this movie too much credit. I, think yeah, I don't movie, think that's a hot take. No, I think that that is like correct. Going back to my own personal feelings towards this. I, of course, have fancied myself a Joe my whole life. Um, sure. For as long as I've known what Little Women was, I knew that I was a Joe. And I also really value... Uh, the platonic love that she has with Laurie because that's been a big player in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm of the belief that she never romantically loved Laurie. Yeah. Never once. And that's really hard for Laurie. But I think that that love in and of itself is beautiful and Laurie comes to appreciate it in the end when he does marry Amy. Mm -hmm. What struck me about this adaptation of Little Women is how much I related to Amy. Yeah. Which previously I did not relate to at all because I'm like, oh, she's the pretty one who gets away with, as Joe says at one point, not, not having to deal with the hard parts of life. Uh, and she burns Joe's books. So as a younger person, I was like, fuck Amy. She's the villain. <laughs> and then you watch Amy and she is burdened with having to marry well. Yeah. And she is second to, honestly, all of second third fourth to all her sisters mm -hmm. she is beautiful and so she is burdened with having to be the person in society as someone from latin america where a lot of the gender roles are still very much what they were in the civil war era united states mm -hmm. god do i actually understand this not from personal experience but from watching the elder women in my family where marriage is an economic proposition they would be his property not mine like yeah. all of that is still very very real in a lot of parts of the world and amy just ugh, hits it i love this movie i could talk about this movie for the rest of my life <laughs> i plan on talking about this movie for the rest of my life i would go to film school just to write a thesis on this movie honestly yeah it is a perfect movie. It is up there. I can't believe I haven't considered it one of my top 10 movies of all time before. I, I, the second time it hits even better. I love it. That was my monologue. Thank you for bearing with me. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's. I wouldn't change a thing. I love this movie. I think it's wonderful. How about you? What did you think about Little Women 2019? Oh, I think Little Women 2019 is an exceptional movie. Yes. I didn't really talk about Laura Dern's character during my oh, recap at all. Yeah. But she has such a, like a quintessential role and influential role with all of the different characters in many different ways mm -hmm. throughout the movie. She's able to thread what it means to be a mother very well to each of the different daughters and yeah. like t cares for them in different ways that they need. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really incredible the way she does it. I think there's a really good scene where 
Joe and Aunt Marge are talking about how Joe's mother always seems like happy and content with her life. And Aunt Marge is like, you don't know what your mother thinks. Like, you don't know. You don't know anything about your mother. I mean, do any of us really know our parents? And then like, there's a scene later on in the movie where I don't remember if it's when Beth is sick or after Beth has died and Laura Dern's character is just sitting at the table. Joe sits down to to talk with her and you can see that like Laura Dern is like really angry with the way things are going and like the way things have turned out. Yeah. And she's like, this is not how I thought my life was going to be. And you can see Joe for the first time kind of realize that what Aunt Marge was saying is true. Also, Marmy just says that to, to Joe point blank. Like Joe says, you know, I never see you angry. And mm-hmm. Marmy's like, I'm always angry. Yeah. I'm yeah. always angry. Yeah, just like the Incredible Hulk. Truly. <laughs> but yeah, I think she's exceptional in this movie. The score by Alexander Desplat. Oh, so gorgeous. It's beautiful. Uh, it's a it's a fantastic score. Listen to it whenever. That's actually a very Christmassy score. I would say that's probably the most Christmassy aspect of this movie is the score. Yeah. Another observation I had while rewatching this movie is that Joe and Beth, who are the second and third daughters, really are like the quintessential spectrum of middle children (laughs) that I think is a universal experience for all middle children is like you're either a Joe, someone who needs to like stand out from the external siblings in a a specific way. And whether that is me. Yeah. (laughs) Whether that is doing something very different, not following a norm of some kind. And then there's Beth, who's just like, I'm going to keep my head down. I'm going to be very quiet and do the things that I like to do, but not really cause a fuss about anything. Do you fancy yourself a Beth as a middle child? Or are you a Joe? I'm definitely not a Joe. I feel like I'm somewhere between like a Beth and a Meg. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Dan is also a middle child. Yeah. And it's different, too, because you are the middle daughter of two older and younger brothers. Yeah. So that's, that's a whole other thing. You know, because it's a Christmas podcast. This is not the first movie I think of when I think of a Christmas movie. Sure. And when I think of this movie, my immediate thought is not Christmas. <laughs> that's In the context of 12 Days Pod, that's my knock against this movie. <laughs> and I feel like it's important that I bring that in. Fine. Stick I to think, the theme of our podcast. I think that's important. <laughs> I just... How dare you? I know. In, I think, probably high school or something, I didn't read Little Women, but I read a book called March Mm. that was the perspective of the father character in this. And I don't think this was by Louisa May Alcott. I think this was like a different author that was like... Sure. Like the the IP was... It's like Rendell. Yeah. The the IP was available. Sure. And so they were like, I don't know, I'll write a book from his perspective. And so it was about him being in the war and like missing his children. I can't believe they didn't make you read both as like companion pieces. Because when I read Beowulf, I read Grendel, which mm-hmm. was told from the perspective of Grendel the monster. Yeah. Or whatever Grendel was. So I guess he's a monster. Yeah. So it's weird that they didn't make you read Little Women, but they made you read March. Yeah. <laughs> Might have been one of those where I was asked to read Little Women and I didn't because I d- didn't do... It's, guys, Dan didn't read until he was in his 20s. And now all he does is read. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a great arc. I think that's an extremely common thing. Yeah, well, it's like me. I didn't do math until I got to college. Like I was in remedial math. Yeah, but you're not like doing math. (laughs) I guess you're doing. I I I look at poles and I scan them. (laughs) That's math. I have 
three spreadsheets open right now. Wow. All doing math. Wow. Wow. I take it back. I do analytics. Yeah, I take it back. You're a math. <laughs> Everyone knows that I'm out here. You're, you're a math. You're a math queen. I'm coming up with new math theories every day. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for new math. <laughs> uh, but those are those are all the notes I really have. Meryl Streep is iconic in this. Sure. When um, is she not? When is she not? Everybody is just like acting their ass off in this. It it's, really. It's really good. It's true. Yeah. Uh, what what trivia or fun facts do you have for us? So I have an actual trivia and fun fact section that is researched that isn't just me having to pull a what's the hudge segment after finding out that the adaptation was in the works Sorsha Ronan reached out to Greta Gerwig and told her that she decided that she was going to play Joe March (laughs) Gerwig was initially hesitant to cast Rona after having just worked with her on Lady Bird in 2017 Mm -hmm. but after realizing that more or less casting herself was a very Joe thing to do true Gerwig sent Ronan an email that said, yes, you're Joe. This fun fact, when I looked it up, I actually burst into tears. Oh, so good. So that iconic big speech that Amy has in her studio when she's talking to Lori and she's painting yeah. about marriage was not in the script. Oh. It was suggested by Meryl Streep. Oh. After working and writing with writer and director Greta Gerwig, Streep asserted that there needed to be a moment in this movie that gave modern audiences the opportunity to understand the true powerlessness of women in that period. Mm. Not only could they not vote or work, but through marriage, they would lose ownership of their money, property, and children. Yeah. According to Florence Pugh, the lines were given to her a few minutes before they were due to shoot the scene. Wow. That's crazy. It was handwritten on a piece of scrap paper. If that piece of paper is not in the goddamn Smithsonian. Wow. Yeah, seriously. That's (laughs) wild. Also, Florence Pugh, I love her. I love her. The fact that she was just handed the scrap of paper, just memorized it on the spot, and then just Mm -hmm. delivered what I think is an Oscar-worthy performance is godlike. Truly. That's incredible. And also just... Again, why women in film is so, so, so important. Like the trio that is Greta, Merrill, and Florence in creating that moment. Yeah. And also good for Timothy for, you know, acting off it well. Mm -hmm. But wow, 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 wow. Yeah. Another awesome thing was about the costumes. So costume designer Jacqueline Duran made several duplicate costume pieces for Joe Marsh and Laurie to make Mm -hmm. it seem like the character shared clothes. Interesting. So if you actually, you do see a couple of things that like Joe's wearing a lot of like masculine clothes and Uh a lot of them actually were like Laurie's clothes that they sort of shared. re-altered or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Each sister was also given a distinctive color palette for their wardrobe. Meg's is lavender and green. Joe's is red and indigo, Beth's is pink and brown, and Amy's is light blue. Mm-hmm. And their mother, Marmy, often wears a combination of all of their colors. Yeah, yeah. The colors and everything in this are incredible. Like, the costumes yeah. are incredible. Yeah, so that's really cool that they had that. Yeah, and, and, and it is very distinct. Like, I think of Amy, and I can't imagine her in anything other than light blue except at the funeral where she's wearing this very like yes. ridiculous black sure. outfit this is also a fun fact and I, I actually can't imagine that this would not have turned out this way which is emma watson took over the role of meg march from emma stone who became unavailable due to scheduling conflicts with promoting the favorite 
Coincidentally, Stone previously took the role over of Mia in La La Land, which Watson dropped out of hmm. due to her commitment as her role as Belle in Beauty and the Beast. Wow. What a switcheroo. The Emmas. The old Emmas <laughs> doing their thing. That's wild. Yeah. I think Emma Watson's perfect in that role. I think so too. Greta Gerwig was six months pregnant with her first child when filming ended and mm -hmm. went into labor 48 hours after turning in her rough edit. Wow. She hid her pregnancy during filming so that nobody on set knew that she was pregnant. I mean, and like that, it really does just speak about how hard it is for women in the entertainment industry still. Yeah. When I was working on Broadway, one of our lead actresses was the lead in a musical, Laura mm -hmm. Benanti, and She Loves Me. This was in 2016. Right. And she kept calling out of the shows so that we would have to have her understudy come in. And everyone was like, Laura Benanti is such a diva. We found out that she was pregnant. <laughs> And she was like several months pregnant and doing a really highly choreographed show. Yeah. Um, and she didn't tell anyone because she was worried that she wouldn't be allowed to do the show. But people knew she was pregnant. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. She ended up being nominated for a Tony. And so I thought of that when reading this regarding Greta, who literally was off the heels of Lady Bird and is considered one of the, the greatest filmmakers of our time right now, not just the greatest like female yeah. filmmakers. So, ooh, Greta. Oof. And then a little fact about the novel itself. The original novel was published in parts, and the first half was published before the ending was decided. Oh. The scenes mm. between Joe and her publisher mirror actual discussions that took place between Louisa May Alcott and her publisher about whether and to whom Joe would be married at the end. Mm. Okay. The, the scene where she reconciles with Friedrich was noted in the script as possible, possibly fiction. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. So those are my fun facts about this absolutely wonderful film. Wow. I love it. Beautiful. Beautiful facts. Beautiful ladies. Beautiful ladies. Beautiful facts. Beautiful little women. I love it. <laughs> All right. As we do every episode, it is time for our definitive ranking of this movie. As is tradition, we base our rankings around the 12 days of Christmas. So out of 12 days of Christmas, how would you rate little women? I love how you're smiling as if you... Like... I mean, like a, like a three, <laughs> four for the four women. I'm going to give it 12 ladies dancing. Oh, 12 ladies dancing. 12 swans of swimming, 12 drummers drumming. There you go. You got it. 12 female drummers drumming. Yes. I yes. love that. How about you? I mean. <laughs> Are you going to give it an 11 because it's not a Christmas movie? <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't actually think it's not a Christmas movie. I just, I don't think it's the most Christmassy movie in the world. <laughs> you last night were like, I, I'm, I'm at peace with what I'm giving it and the reasons why. And I'm like, that means it's not 12. That means he's giving it 11. Am I right? <laughs> Look. <laughs> <laughs> This is a 5 out of 5 movie. Yeah. And an like, 11 out of 12 days of Christmas. <laughs> yeah. This is, but it's 11 Pipers Piping for our podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. On Christmas, I'm going to watch Klaus, not Little Women. <laughs> we can do both. We have to watch Godfather, too. Yeah, we have too many, too many, too many on the lineup already. <laughs> I love Little Women. It's a perfect movie. I would happily watch this any time of the year, is the thing. That is fair. You know? That is fair. So I'm giving it, I think it's 11 Pipers Piping. That's fine. I, I accept it. I see it. And I am here for it. Good. I'm I'm glad that's not too controversial. No, it's fine. Okay. 
Thank goodness. The emotional toll that preparing to record this episode has taken on me, guys, I don't know what it is, but this is a lot. And yeah. I'm just, I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we did it. I hope you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. This, this movie is a lot for me. This is our like little bonus episode that we're doing yeah. since we're doing two on the You're last, welcome. Merry the last Christmas. day. Merry this, Christmas. So thank you so much for listening. We are only two days away from Christmas and we hope to spread as much Christmas spirit as possible. So please share this with your friends if they aren't already listening. If you haven't already, check out our second episode that's out today, The Santa Claus 3. And let me tell you, not as good as Little Women. <laughs> we haven't watched it. We haven't it. watched it yet, we but I'm gonna, call my, it. I'm gonna call my shot. <laughs> I don't think Martin Short dressed up as Jack Frost and Tim <laughs> Allen doing his third Santa Claus and no Bernard is gonna be better than oh, Little yeah. Women. Oh yeah, fuck it. There's no Bernard. Oh, Bernard would have slayed with the Little Women. Oh, totally. Say that. <laughs> Uh, you did. <laughs> and as we say every episode, Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas.